0: Good morning, family. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. It's time to give God praise. So, if you're able, please stand to your feet and let's worship the Lord. This next song is called is he worthy and it's a call and response so i'll say the first line and you will respond and haley and jan are going to show you how to, how it goes do you feel the world is broken we do that's the congregation okay so here we go <laughs> and listen to these words Unique God this morning. Do you feel the world is broken? Mm. Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all? do. Yeah. is all creation groaning is a new creation coming is the glory of the lord to be the light within our midst Is it good that we remind ourselves of truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those he loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again in us?
1: pray with me dear god number one thank you so much for this band that we get to listen to every sunday morning revive our souls bring us wisdom give joy to our hearts give light to our eyes warn us of danger make us courageous how precious are the lessons we learn from your word Thank you for all the opportunities you provide us and let us see the potential in others as you see in us. Thank you for believing in us more than anyone else despite knowing everything about us. We pray for our Pastor Murray who continually helps us to get closer to you and prepares us to be close to you. Our eyes are not your eyes, our mind is not like your mind. We do our best each day and pray for our desired outcome but leave the results in your hands. We pray for our ability to accept and be joyful for whatever decisions you make, because we must know you will work out all things for our good. God, please be with the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia, as they both need you in so many different ways. We pray for our leaders that they will seek you out and include you in all the decisions set before them. We thank you for your son and the sacrifices he endured so we sinners can have a seat at your table. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: You may be seated. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? I love it. Well, I don't know about you, but I am running on pure caffeine right about now because I missed an hour of sleep and I'm not happy about it. But we're all here. Thank you so much for braving that, that lack of sleep and coming out here and joining us on this wonderful Sunday morning. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Director of Youth Ministries here at La Jolla Community Church. I want to bring everybody's attention. On your way in, you should have received one of our fancy new bulletins. And if you notice right in the middle, our bulletins tear right in half. And our hope and our prayers, you would take this top half home, especially with some of the awesome things coming up for Easter. Please take this home and invite somebody to church. Invite them to some of the wonderful things that we've got going on here at La Jolla Community Church. I love seeing all the new fun faces. I'm hoping and praying that means lots of people are taking these home and inviting their friends and loved ones. So please let them know that we've got some wonderful things going on. You may notice we've got our Easter block party coming up. So please take this top half home and invite somebody to church bottom half is for you guys. Please, I will not be offended if you're filling it out while I'm doing announcements. But this bottom half, the first side says, get connected with us. This is how we at La Jolla Community Church get you engaged and plugged in in some of the wonderful ministries that we have going on here. Whether it's our young adult lunch after uh, conversations today, or many of the other ministries that we've got going on, we would love to have you guys join and participate in some of these events. But we've got to get you connected and plugged in. So please take a moment, fill out this card, let us know where we can get you engaged at La Jolla Community Church. And if you flip it. Right over this other side says, Let us pray for you. This is our prayer card. This is how we pray over you and just pour out that love and that joy of our congregation. We have a dedicated prayer team every single week that individually prays over every single prayer card that gets turned in. Whether you've got something glorious and wonderful going on in your life, or maybe you have a friend who needs a little extra help, or you personally are just struggling this week, please take a moment, fill that out. Let us pray for you. Let us pour over you with some grace and some love this week. So please take a moment, fill that out, and then on your way out you can take the connection and prayer card along with the offering envelopes which are in the seat backs directly in front of you and you can drop those off in the baskets on your way out. Well again we thank you so much for joining us. We hope you have a wonderful Sunday. And with that I'm going to invite Pastor Steve up to lead us in a message. Thank you so much. We've
3: well, we been going through the Old Testament uh, since the beginning of the new year and hopefully you're reading through the Bible I won't ask for a show of hands, but I see the guilty looks, I know. Okay, so uh, you see you're, you're trapped somewhere in Leviticus and thinking you'll never get out. We're sending in help. We'll send in help to you. Uh, keep at it. If you're reading through the Bible this year, keep at it. If you haven't started doing it, start now. Um, and you might be saying, well, if I start now, I'll be so far behind. If you don't start now, you'll be even more behind. Okay, so just jump in. Um, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people over the years when I say, Well, if that's a big goal to you, if that's a big aspiration for you, why don't you do it? Well, if I try to finish college now, I'll be 30, and then, wait, you're going to be 30 anyway. So you may as well you know, finish with a, a degree. Don't put off the most important things in life. Um, that is the big rule of life, right? Don't put off the important things. And yet, even if you're a super organized person, the question becomes what are the most important things? How does it become part of your schedule, part of your priorities? Reading the Bible has got to be right there up with, okay, it's a step above flossing, all right? Let's just get to the really serious stuff that you're always held accountable for when you go to the dentist. Have you been flossing? And why do people invoke the fifth on that? uh, I might incriminate myself. I'm not answering the question. Reading the Bible ends up being one of those core, core practices in life that allow us to thrive and flourish this is not a guilt message but if that helps it's okay (laughs) go with the guilt uh and the reason i'm saying this is because we've been walking through the old testament since january we wrapped it up not quite wrapped it up we've we got tired and gave it up last uh, week but we we brought everybody from genesis through uh the very end of the old testament and if if you haven't been following along just jump in and start reading The New Testament will not make sense to you unless you read the Old. Uh, The New Testament will sound like a really confusing Hallmark card. Inspiring messages with no context, you know. Um, You've got to jump into God's Word. So we were asking the question, how does God's story shape yours? That's the question we've been asking. And now as we jump into this Lenten series, uh, this springtime 40 days before Easter series... Uh, we're asking a really simple question. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Uh, we're simply asking that question because our entire culture asks the question. Why Jesus? Why? What's the point? And they don't ask, it, answer, disres- ask that question disrespectfully. It's more of a, ah, it's nice but kind of irrelevant. You know, why? What, what's the point? Um, and a, a lot of believers would say, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, that's a good question i don't know so we're going to reflect on that so that you have answers you might already have answers Our, our goal in life isn't to argue with people to to mug them in the name of jesus but we do have the opportunity to give a reason for the hope that's in us and we only can do that if we have content that allows us to articulate that hope so we are a learning community we're a resource rich community meaning that not that we're just rich uh, rich in education or, or, or material things, but we're rich because we have the Word of God. And sitting on that incredible treasure, it's meant to be given away uh, and shared and distributed. So here we are asking the question, why Jesus? And it's a great question, isn't it? Uh, well, He showed up. That's a start. Jesus showed up and we divide history before Him and after Him. Uh, you can't go to any great university and not bump into Jesus, if you read the original documents. You take the greatest universities in the country, and you read the original documents, and you're kind of shocked, because you think, is this okay to have this in print? This sounds like a tract, a Bible tract, because that's what they were. Uh, You can't go to a hospital that doesn't have some rootedness in the Jesus movement. There's no such thing as a hospital or an orphanage that didn't begin with the movement of God's Spirit. You can't go to a YMCA, Salvation Army, you can't ask the question, what's ethics in business, without bumping into uh, the Ten Commandments, or as we say in California, the Ten Suggestions. <laughs> the Ten Things that I might take under consideration if I have time. Um, so this is the big question, why Jesus? Well, he showed up, so now what? And so it's important that followers of Jesus reflect on this question deeply, deeply, deeply meaning not in a sense of panic, oh, no, I've got to get all this information, but just to say, okay, how do I sit and enjoy it? Uh, Wouldn't you like, right now, I mean, after church, wouldn't you like to be immediately transported to Hawaii, sitting poolside or at the beach with a cool drink in your hand? And what would you do? Would you be racing around in your head thinking of all the things you have to do? No, you'd be going, this is really great. And you'd be smelling the plume and feeling the breeze, and you think, ah, oh, this is exactly what I need. This is what it means to think and reflect deeply on the things of God. And that's what we try to do every week. We try to do it in life groups. We try to do it, and we do do it, throughout the year. So here we are. Uh, and the message of the Bible tells us that we're made to know God and love God and to know and love people. And we're going to discover that as we answer this question, why Jesus, we're going to get some answers to those kinds of questions as well. What does that look like? What does that uh, feel like? How does that translate into our experience? And today we're asking kind of a, 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 it might seem like an esoteric or obscure question, but uh, what does it mean that Jesus is the new Adam? You might have never even heard that phrase, Jesus, the new Adam. This is uh, one of these obscure things that is mentioned in the Bible. Not obscure as in not important, but obscure in that we have no context for it unless you've been reading through the Old Testament. Uh, and so the message of the Bible is that we're made to know and love God on people, but we're in conflict with God. We're in conflict with ourselves, within ourselves. We're, we're in conflict with people in our own homes, our neighborhoods, our country. Uh, we're in conflict with creation. We don't know it, what's the better way to destroy creation, through uh, a, a bigger electrical grid or more petroleum-based products. We're making a mess of it either way, right? And so we try to discern how do we not mess with creation too, too badly, uh, but this is one of the issues we do, no matter what we do. Uh, and this is the nature of all people, that we find ourselves in this conundrum. I don't intend to do bad things. I don't like bad things being done to me. They just seem to always be there. And and, 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 and I, as I said last week, as we finished up uh, that Old Testament part where they're back in the new... They're, they're, the, the people who've been in exile are now back in Jerusalem, rebuilding the city and the temple and the walls. And they're going, oh, I hope it doesn't fall apart again. And that's something that every human being has. Every human being has that sense of this is awesome, but it's scary. I was thinking when when you were praying, I was listening to your prayer, and and it's awesome. I was thinking of your son. His son, Dan's son, is a big wave surfer. I mean, not big like La Jolla Shores, two feet big. I mean, forty feet big. I mean, Maverick. And there's this great YouTube picture, a video of his son on this wave in Maverick. And, And and having talked to the son. I know he survived it, but every time I see the video, I go, oh, no, no, oh, ah, oh, no. Because you see these little, you see all these people around him, little boards going, and guys going into the abyss of the water, and you see his son just going, which is what I would have done, of course, if I had been on that 40-foot wave as well. But I imagine everybody paddling out, and he's the guy who actually paddles out. He's not towed in by a, 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 a fast boat. Every time those guys go out, what do you think? Well, the last 50 times it was awesome. I hope it's 51. I hope I'm on the beach talking about this versus, you know, calling my folks in the hospital and telling them that being in traction isn't all that bad, you know. <laughs> this is our dilemma. And uh, in this big conflict, and the Bible describes it in various ways under the heading of sin. I love the, the fact that in Spanish, sin, sin means Without. Without. And so, really, that's a good way to think about sin functionally. It's, it's that we're something we're lacking something, something significant, something serious. Uh, sin distorts our nature; it affects our ability to live righteously. I mean, everybody wants to live righteously. Guess who thinks he's doing a righteous act in Ukraine to restore the the the, the immense and wonderful Soviet Union? A crazy man, uh, not crazy as in mentally ill, but I mean, an evil man, and that he's decided to do some things that are evil. So therefore, by Default, he's functioning as an evil person. He thinks and puts out this apologetic that this is really a good thing. We're, there, we're, we're here to save the Ukrainian people. Oh, like the ones in the maternity hospital or the ones who are trying to get out of the country. Or the, and I'm picking on him because it's such a big public thing right now. Sin distorts our nature. We do things that we will regret and others will regret on our behalf if we don't that people, and, and if we're in tune with our own being, will resent. Why did I do that? Why did they do that? It affects our ability to live righteously. No matter how many times we say this is a righteous act, nobody's going to buy it if, if it really is a matter of sin. Uh, Paul writes to the Roman believers. We don't have a slide on this. I'm just reading it to you. In, in Romans 1.25, he says, "You know, We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshiped and served created things of our own making rather than the creator of all things. What kinds of things of our own making? Our image, our sense of empowerment, our sense of entitlement. I can do it. I got, I got a thing. I can put this button and I can scare you all or blow you up. But I'm going to threaten. I have my finger right over this button. And you're going to watch me kill all these people because you're afraid of what might happen to you. Oh, you're not going to embargo my oil? Why? Because you care about you more than you care about the ladies in the maternity hospital. Well, yeah, but we don't want to create it. Yeah, see, then the chain reactions we're going, oh my gosh, we're stymied by evil. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve, created things rather than the creator of all things. So what is sin exactly, and why is it such a big deal? Well, uh, it's a condition in our nature that's reflected in our attitudes and our behaviors, and it kills us, it destroys us. It's a toxic poison. Sin improves nothing, it destroys everything. It's empty false promises. It can't deliver on what it promises. Hey, I'll make you better. You'll be smarter than God. You'll feel better about you. You'll be more successful. People will like you. And it's a lie that destroys us. It's the misuse, the abuse, the neglect of of what God has entrusted to us. We're supposed to be managers of creation. Partners with God in managing this beautiful place he's created. Instead, we trash it. And so sin is an, is an ineffective means of getting our needs and our wants and our desires met. Uh, again, I, I, I have had zillions of conversations with people telling me why this, uh, this affair is a great idea. I've never felt so loved. I've never been so in love. My marriage is dead. It's plateaued. It's Right. Uh, look, I, everything you're saying, I don't doubt, is true. Let's just assume your marriage is dead. What would it look like to revive it, to raise it from the dead? You know, Jesus resurrects dead things. If your marriage is dead, well, okay, acknowledge it. Sit down with your spouse and say, I think our marriage is dead. How how about you? Oh, you already thought that? You didn't want to tell me? Well, let's agree on it. What would it look like for us to renew and rebuild? You see where this goes? The fact that we sin doesn't mean we don't have real needs, aspirations. I wanted to unite what used to be the fatherland. Yeah, great, way to go. How about calling up the people in Ukraine and saying, I want to love you. What would make you feel loved by Russia? What? Who is this? I know it sounds crazy, but I know you're, you're kind of pushing us away from those other people in Western Europe. We've obviously not done a good job loving you, making you feel loved. What do we need to do? Can you imagine that crazy conversation? It would be the most rational conversation to have. So when we talk about needs and aspirations, uh, well-intended things that we want, uh, we have to then ask the question, is this really a righteous version of that or a sinful version of it? So anytime you're feeling the big temptation to do something you know isn't right, don't immediately say, oh, so wrong, I've got to rationalize right and wrong. How about you start with, what need is not getting met in me that's making me so vulnerable to doing this crazy thing that I will regret or other people will resent? Are you with me on this? What we do as a culture, though, we say, well, my needs then are the only conversation to have. Oh, because I feel this way, I have this aspiration, I want this. We think that's the right conversation. I'm saying that's the right way to start. What is in you that makes you feel like there's no hope and everything is lacking? Do you know what suicide is? Suicide is an emotional blinders. It goes like this, and you see no other options. A rational, smart, maybe highly affluent, highly educated person comes to a point when there's no other options. In their reality, there are no other options, except for all the options. And then what they need is some. they need to say to somebody, I feel like killing myself. Really, have you thought about how to do it? Mm Mm-hmm. When? Kind of. I'm working on the plan. All right. Can we process this together? And in that conversation, options emerge. So do you see the beauty of of identifying your needs, wants, and desires? That's not bad. The question is, will you do something righteous or bad with that? So this is the craziness, the rational irrationality of sin. It causes us to exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator of all things. Our aspirations and needs are real, but sin distorts and desecrates them, desacralizes them. Your needs, wants, and desires really are meant to be sacred. I yearn for close relationship. Oh, God already told us it's not good for people to be alone. So there's something sacred in that. And when you make something not sacred, it's, it's called desacralization. You've desacralized. You've, you've anti-sacred it. And so all those things that make us human beings are sacred things. But we stop short of saying, what would it look like for this to be re-sacralized? That's why we talk about marriage as as not quite a sacrament, because a sacrament is technically something everybody can do. And not everybody gets married for all kinds of reasons. But we talk about marriage as a sacred ordinance, a sacred thing. Why do we do that? To put religious verbiage on it? No, to say there's something profound in here you don't want to miss. It's not just a man and a woman living for each other. It's a man and a woman loving each other and living to serve God together. That's a sacred trust. And everything in life can be that way. You're in the marketplace, that's a sacred trust. You're you're a carrier of shalom in the marketplace if you're a good business person. You're doing a great job in business, you're contributing to the shalom of the city, the well-being of the city. No, no, I just want to make a lot of money and become filthy rich. Uh, It's not going to work then. You're violating the shalom within you, and you'll violate the shalom of the city. So the perniciousness of sin isn't that it's well you religious people don't understand how the real world works. No, I, I beg to differ. The fact is we absolutely understand how the real world works, and we're saying don't settle for the unreal world. Sin is an, is an ineffective means of getting our needs, wants, and desires met. God withholds no good thing from us. He loves us and wants to bless us fully. I've come that you might have life in all its fullness. Ooh, that sounds like an answer to the question, why Jesus? We're bumping into answers already about why Jesus? Well, you can't outdo God and you can't do without God. That's part of the answer to why Jesus. So sin has no known benefits, just endless, miserable, lamentable Consequences. There is a way which seems right to a man, but at the end it leads to death. That's Proverbs fourteen. Uh, a number of years ago, <clears throat> specifically October twenty eighth, two thousand five, five guys, five Mexican fishermen, wanted to go out fishing. Uh, they lived down in uh, the Nayarit part of the main body of Mexico, and uh, they were poor, and they thought it's kind of a hassle. And it's expensive to get the permit we need to go shark fishing. So let's just load up the 28-foot boat and go out and get some shark, and we'll make some money. Well, of course, they ran out of fuel, and the wind and the currents started taking them out to sea. Uh, Thankfully, they were picked up nine months and 5,500 miles later by a tuna boat that took them to the Marshall Islands, which then connected them to New Zealand, which then somebody from Mexico arranged to fly them back to Mexico. Uh, Three out of the five guys got to go home. The two guys um, are still out there. And you know what they did? They went shark fishing. This is a great, for me, picture of sin. We return to the scene of the crime. There's no sin to be poor, Uh, There's no sin to want to go shark fishing, but they kept violating things all along the way. Uh, Running out of gas is not a sin, but it's so close in terms of stupidity that it's really pretty much borderline on it's a sin to go out with five guys in a 28-foot boat at the middle of the ocean and not know that you don't have any gas. So you see the human nature development going on this, the cutting the corners, the great possibilities of what could possibly go wrong kinds of things. This is not laughable. Nine months and fifty-five hundred nautical miles is an ordeal. But then the idea is, as soon as they get back, I'm gonna go shark fishing. I want to. I want to write one of the guys. I want to, you know, uh, get in touch with them and say, hey, how did the permitting work out? Did you? Because they would have been saved had they gotten the permit. What happens is you're registered now with the authorities, and they know where you're going. And if you didn't come back, they say, oh, we'll find them. What happened because they disappeared was the authorities and then the village and then their families all assumed that they were running drugs and it didn't go well for them and they got taken out. You see how sad this is? The consequences, this downward spiral of sin. The road to hell or the Marshall Islands is paved with good intentions, right? And so there are many words for sin in the Bible. I mean, there's a lot of words in in Hebrew and in Greek, uh, a lot of words for sin in the Bible. Um, and all of them reveal our desperate dilemma. Uh, we do what we shouldn't do and we don't do what we should do. C.S. Lewis brilliantly illustrates this in the book Mere Christianity. If you've never read Mere Christianity it was originally a series of BBC broadcasts uh, from, from him and brilliant. It was so brilliant they put it into a book and Mere Christianity, and it's a quote mere, you know, air, air quotes it's, it's being uh, ironic. Mere Christianity, like missing the whole point that it's not mere It's not incidental. It should be magnificent, essential Christianity. But he called it mere because he was speaking to a post-Christian culture. Now, it's hard to think about England being a post-Christian culture, but it is. Hard to think about America being a post-Christian culture, but we are. So we we twist truth. We distort reality. We violate trust. We take what's not ours to take. These are all the words in Hebrew and Greek that define sin. We miss the mark. We wander from the path of uprightness and honor. We ignore the law of God and the laws of man. We lie, and then we lie about it. (laughs) You know, if you're ever caught for a crime, don't lie about it. Because perjury is, you know, Martha Stewart went to jail for perjury, not for cheating on stocks. Had she cheated on stocks, he would have slapped her wrist and and given her a, a fine. When she lied about it, she went to prison. So we lie, and then we lie about that. We make promises we can't keep and commitments we can't fulfill, but we mean well. We mean well. Uh, I can't tell you how many times in high school I had to say some version of that to authorities in my life. We didn't mean to do that. That was not our plan. I don't know how that happened, but that's not what we meant to do. Of course you didn't. But you'll have a lot of hours after school to think about that. And so we've seen through the entire Old Testament that God has a plan to save us from sin. God was constantly intervening, blessing a a person to create a nation, blessing that nation to to bless all nations. And he gave them the law, sacrifices, priests, prophets, a tabernacle, then a temple. And then, as I said, we wrapped up the Old Testament last week with Israel back from exile. They so desperately wanted to get it together. This time we're going to get it right. They really were serious about it. And you see that all those ceremonies, those worship services, celebrating Passover, reading the Bible in public, people weeping because they hadn't heard it read. Um, I I mentioned last week that a group of people said, we're going to get it so right that we're not going to be able to get it wrong. We're going to build a a fence next to the cliff and a fence inside of that fence and a fence inside of that fence. And, And eventually they were called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees would read, by the time the New Testament shows up, We think these people are rotten to the core, they're hypocrites. But the Pharisees were a renewal movement desiring not to get it bad, but to get it right. But it didn't take very long, hours, minutes, days, maybe a week, for it to go sideways. So much so that one of the most significant prophets in that period, in that very end of the Old Testament period, uh, Ezekiel, was lamenting this. And he's, he's calling out to God. And so God speaks to him uh, on, uh, to, to give him a message for the Israelites. And, and, he, and God refers to Ezekiel as son of man. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. And, he's, and God is now quoting the Israelites. Our offenses and sins weigh us down and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? So God says to Ezekiel, to state to the people, "As surely as I live," declares the Sovereign Lord, "I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live." What kind of God would send somebody to hell? Uh, well, He didn't send you. You bought a one-way ticket with your own money, and you made that decision. God finds no pleasure. God is brokenhearted. With the idea that anybody would be lost to him. God loves you so much he even respects your will. Yes, we can talk about God's wrath. The weight of God's glory is is another way of of describing his wrath. And his wrath is so weighty, it will crush you. If you're not enclosed in his righteousness, his wrath will crush you. That's been, in a sense, distorted as God is so angry he's looking for somebody to squash God is back, and boy, is he mad. We talk about God's anger. It's always a righteous anger, which we don't even have a category for. I've never been righteously angry. I've just been angry, and I've tried to rationalize it as righteous. But God's wrath, his his imposing greatness will crush us. And so God, God says of himself, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? You're back from exile. Why why do you want to die? What's this death wish? Well, of course, we've just been talking about it. It's sin. So we ask the question again, why Jesus? Well, Jesus is the culmination of God's plan to redeem and restore all things. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the righteous high priest. He is the faithful man. The law is fulfilled in Jesus Messiah. We don't throw the law away. We say it's been fulfilled. It's no longer a burden on me to fulfill it. Jesus has fulfilled it. We don't disparage the law. Some of the early followers of Jesus were still trying to figure out who he was, but were, we're responding to the gospel They said, oh, I get it. We can pretty much, God likes to forgive. I like to sin. It's a beautiful match made in heaven. And they were called antinomians. Nomia is the law. Nomos is the law. Um, The the idea of of antinomian is that we reject the law. We don't need a law. That's a Platonic thinking, uh, not a biblical thinking. Jesus didn't reject the law. He fulfilled the law. We don't reject people trying to be good. We just say it's ridiculous to try to be good. You need to train to be good, and only God can train you how to be good. So he is the new Adam, the true human. If Adam is symbolic of all human beings, and Adam sins, and through that sin all human beings are catastrophically affected, Jesus is the new Adam, the way it's supposed to be. Paul writes to the Romans again saying this, but now apart from the law, whether you believe in the law or not, you're a Gentile, you don't believe in the law, all right. You don't know, you don't know. But the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned, And fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Or Christ Jesus. Christ being the the Greek version of the word Messiah. So Christ is a title. Jesus, we say Jesus Christ. We should say Jesus the Christ. Um, um, uh, Jesus Mashiach. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. A covering of our sins a payment of our debt, through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He then writes to, to young Timothy, his protege, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Oh, Paul's boastful, too. I thought I was a worse sinner. Oh, no, wait. Anybody want to take a shot at that? We're doing an auction here. Who is the worst sinner? Um, You have to be nominated by your wife or any of your children. (laughs) Seconded by your friends. So here's Paul saying, look, um, this is what Jesus did. Why Jesus? Because he came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Again, writing to the Romans, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because then not only do we inherit it, uh, we all then sin. I was with a four-year-old who will go unnamed uh, yesterday. And we walked over. You know, this is a tragedy in San Diego. There's no convenient donut places. When I was a little kid, there was a donut place on every corner. Um, and it was like school, church, and Winchell's, you know. And uh, so I'm looking for a donut place everywhere because he and his dad go out for donuts on Saturday, and his mom and dad Ditched us to go to Santa Barbara. And so um, I said, Hey, Vaughn sells donuts. So we will go over to Vaughn's, we buy donuts. One is this garishly yellow with chocolate. So it's a glazed a chocolate, and this one that looks like you would not want to even touch it, never want to eat it. It looks radioactive, let me put it that way. We come home, of course, I said, Okay, which one do you want? Uh, he goes, Oh, that one's so the big cl- clunky. He starts eating it as a four can, eating it while he's looking at the other two donuts. Which I've already told him, the glaze is for your mom and the chocolate is yet to be determined. So he's going, yeah, yeah, okay. And he's eating this thing, eating this thing. I go, I turn my back for a second. I, I look around, there's no donut. I said, what happened to your donut? He goes, I ate it. I said, whoa. He said, can I have the chocolate one? I said, you can have half the chocolate one. So I cut the chocolate one, out, give it to him. And then I was cleaning up something in the kitchen. I went, I, I went to throw something in the trash and there's an ugly yellow donut. In the trash. like, oh my gosh. He is a candidate for the worst of all sinners right there. (laughs) Uh, Oh my gosh. Um, Wow. It starts, it's imputed to us because of Adam, but then we own it because we make decisions. The sin wasn't wanting to ditch the donut. I said, you know, Miles, um, if you don't want the donut, just say, I don't want the donut. Don't say, I ate the donut and then throw it away. I didn't even get into that's a lie. I mean, he's four. He'll learn soon enough. But I mean, I I want him to understand that, you know, that's not okay. Because I could see him feeling guilty when he realized what was going on. So, right? Adam's sin, Miles is, what is he doing? Confirming it. And that's what Paul's saying here. Death came to all people because all sinned. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision provision of grace And of the gift of righteousness, the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The new Adam, the new man. Consequently, just as one trespass, that's that's a Greek version of a Hebrew word describing sin. He's referring now to Adam. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, So also, one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. The new Adam. what The the original Adam set in motion as sin and death. The new Adam redeems and restores. And turns into life and grace for all people. For justice through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners... So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Why Jesus? Ah, oh, there's, there's another part of the answer. And then in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul says it this way, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Again, again, uh, so many times I've been in conversations with people that say, you know, what I don't like about Christianity It's so exclusive. It excludes people. I said, it excludes nobody. Who's excluded? This is for all people. What don't you understand about all people? Well, it's exclusive because it's just through Jesus. Well, then, we sang the song at the beginning of the worship service. Who's worthy? That was a reference to Revelation. And there were all the nations, all those who have been martyred, all people from all places are at this moment and there's the lamb who's also the lion. Somehow the, the, the great lion of Judah is also the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. And the voice calls out, who is worthy to undo the seal? Who is, a, who is worthy to unfold and unfurl the scroll? And there's only one person worthy of all people who've ever lived for all time. Only one person is worthy and that's Jesus. That's what we sang today. That was an act of worship. That was a confession of faith. That was an apologetic for why we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he could do what he said he did. Jesus is the new Adam. He's come to create a new humanity. We know what the old humanity looks like and acts like because it's in us all. We know it. That's why we have a hard time getting around the idea that we're new creations in Christ. Yeah, but I'm still kind of me with my past and my foibles and, you know, right, but something is going on here that's really hard to put into words because in Christ we're becoming new creations and everything is being set right sin and death no longer define us even though they're part of our experience you can no longer be adequately described and defined as a sinner who's going to die because of your sin yet you will die though you will die yet you will live the only apt description and 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 um Definition of you is beloved child of God. So what is different in the new humanity? God's original plan is redeemed. How do real human beings function in the midst of the old humanity? Well, at present we see signs of death and decay mingled with life and beauty. Out with the old, in with the new. What is, is passing away. What is coming is being revealed in God's people. It's like the trauma and drama of death and childbirth going on all at the same time. Something heartbreaking and something heartwarming is happening right around us and in us. And we're saying, whoa, where's this going to land? And so we'll be exploring this in the weeks ahead and it's really, really good. This answer to why Jesus is really, really good. It might be different than what you thought, Some parts will be very similar to what you already think. There'll be some things that you thought you knew, but you're going to hear them in a way you would say, gosh, I didn't really know it the way it really is. I've settled for something less. I've settled for an American cultural version, a Western European version. I've settled for a whatever version. But now that I see what it means to answer the question, why Jesus, it's breathtaking. I had no idea. I've just a little bit of a taste. Like Paul said at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, we're looking in a a mirror darkly. We can't quite see exactly what we want to see. But one day we'll see it in full, even as we are fully seen and known by God. And So we'll be exploring this in the weeks ahead. We want to answer the question, why Jesus and understand the gift he is, because in his righteousness, we are training to live righteously as his beloved people. We don't make an effort for our salvation, that's a gift, but we can make an effort living into and appropriating our salvation. A kid gets a bike. It's a gift. Learning to ride it takes some effort. And they come with training wheels. For some of you, uh, it's time to take the training wheels off. You've been, you've been using training wheels on your bike way too long. For some of you, you feel bad about having training wheels. Hey, take the time to get comfortable with what it is to be on that bike. But for now, I leave you with this blessing, proclaiming uh, the Lord's presence in us. And I, we don't have a slide, but I want you to hear it, and I want you to memorize it in the next week. It's, it's from the letter of Jude, which is a one-sheet letter in the New Testament, way in the back. It's hard to find. Just look it up and turn to the page. Jude uh, 1, 24 to 25, which is kind of funny because there's no really two. It's just Jude, and verses 24 and 25 now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, who was and is and will be forever. Amen. That who is and was and will be, that is a, that's a Greek quote of a Hebrew phrase that, that basically God said, to Moses, when Moses said, "Who are you?" I am who I am. haya, who haya, hove, Who, who was and is and will be. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was and is and will be forever. Amen. Lord Jesus, this is our prayer. As we launch into this, uh, continue this this wonderful season of Lent, anticipating the celebration of Easter, as we reflect on this question, why Jesus? Help us to understand in a way uh, more fully than ever before what this means. And in your name we pray, in your high and holy name. Amen.
0: Only, only is
3: You know, that scene I described a few moments ago about Jesus uh, and all the people assembled, when we're all there, right before that happens, God's going to say, Deneen, would you lead us in worship? And and we'll say, yeah, do you have the whole team with you? Yeah, okay, we're good to go. Uh, We want to do everything we can to help you take whatever next step, first step in your faith with Christ. If today is the day you say, okay, Jesus, come into my life, uh, welcome him into your life. Start that relationship with him today. If you've been far from him and you think, oh, no, I made too many mistakes, uh, get over it. You can't make too many mistakes. The only mistake you can make too many times is rejecting him. So invite him to come back and start anew with you. If you have issues uh, in life that you'd like prayer for, not maybe your issues, but issues that you see, uh, go out that door after the worship service around the corner to that lovely prayer garden, and there'll be people there who'll say, can I pray with you? What can I pray for you about? Uh, We love being able to pray for one another. Um, After the service, get your kids, come out, have a light brunch. And then at 11, you'll hear some music, come back in. We do a really fun thing called Conversations. Uh, it's 45 minutes of, of being in a small group with a bunch of people you may or may not know. It doesn't matter if you know them. We ask these questions that don't put you on the spot but make you f- get creative thinking about stuff. We watch these five-minute videos. We have 10 minutes of conversation, and we repeat that. It's fantastic. Uh, it's really, really fun. Um, you see, I can't sit, talk about it without smiling. If you don't like it, just walk out. It's no harm, no foul, you know? Um, But I guarantee you won't want to walk out. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.